Welcome to Junior to Senior, the podcast for ambitious devs who want to take their career to the next level. I'm your host, David Gutman. Today, I'm joined by Tyler Bushnell. Tyler, welcome to the show. Thank you, David. Uh, so for folks who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah. So uh, as you said, my name's Tyler Bushnell. I uh, am originally a software engineer, um, mainly in the, the web spaces. And uh, of the last five years, I've been doing the, the founder thing, um, building a company called Polycade. Yeah, uh, I feel like that is a journey that is often in the minds of many software developers. I think I think oftentimes people, basically software engineers recognize how much power they have, right? They are oftentimes the only one building or creating something that then, I don't know, their company is is then turning around and, and selling. And there's often idea that like, oh, wait, I can build an entire product myself. So why aren't I doing that? Now, obviously, depending on whatever it is, it gets a lot more complicated a story. But can you can you share a little bit about what made you want to start your own company and become a founder instead of just, uh, you know, working for someone else? Yeah, definitely. Um, so it's actually something that that I'd wanted to do. I've always wanted to do since I was uh, very, very young. And, you know, I toyed with it a number of times over the years, uh, starting around roughly the age of 18, but never really like, you know, put... I didn't, I couldn't, I can't say that we really put our soul into like a concept that I truly believed in, um, mm -hmm. in any one of those moments of toying around with it. Right. And so that was like always a sort of side project. And, um, even when we were, my brother and I, my brother Brent and I were uh, running our own company that was sort of aimed to be our own thing. Um, mm -hmm. there wasn't like a core startup idea. We were more of an agency. So in an agency building websites around the year, like, you know, 2000, which was a miserable experience. <laughs> a real, a real company for the times, I think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, we never really put too much, you know, uh, never went all in on any concept. And, uh, you know, I think in many moments you're, you're looking for the right thing. You've, you, in some time sometimes something falls in your lap that you're like, oh, this is a good opportunity. I'll give you an example. My, my brother and I, as part of our independent operation, we randomly got in touch with this company that did auto salvage, uh, which is a whole industry about, you know, taking wrecked cars and then like bringing them down into parts and selling those, right? Mm -hmm. Really interesting industry. I was going to say, that's a, that's a very sexy industry. I'm sure you go into any kindergartner, you know, kindergarten, you ask them what they want to be when they grow up, and that industry tops the list every single time. Totally, totally. Yeah. It is sexy. It, I mean, the trade <laughs> Astronaut, shows. president, and uh, auto salvage. <laughs> totally. Top three, yeah. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> this opportunity to build an ERP system for auto salvage can't drop into our our laps and you know we built that for them and then we were like we can and so an erp system just because a lot of our listeners may may not 
uh, have familiarity? Like what's what's involved in that? Is that is that actually like the sexiest part of the sexy auto salvage industry? It, yeah, yeah. Arguably, you know, I always think the tech piece is, is the most interesting, but um, the an ERP system is an enter- enterprise resource planning system. And so this is like <laughs> to like put every single work order and like all that kind of stuff goes into this mm-hmm. system and it organizes everything. They can pull reports of like all their wrecked cars and the ones that have sold mm-hmm. and all that crap. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we built that. It totally sucked. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and we, we even went to a trade show in Memphis at one point and it was just like a horrible, horrible, uh, it, whatever. I mean, I don't want to talk crap on the auto salvage industry, um, but <laughs> it, it wasn't the like sexy startup we were really looking for. Um, sure. And so, you know, I think it's important to find something that not only you love, but something that you really believe in. Right. And, and so for all our listeners right now who are in the auto salvage industry, I just want to make it clear. Your job is awesome. We love you. <laughs> and uh, Tyler's opinions do not reflect that of uh, the show. Go ahead. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, you know, I mean, uh, at, at one point um, I got always wanted to build an arcade machine you know it was something that i felt like uh belonged in the world where at the time which was 2015 um you hadn't really seen this resurgence of arcade machines that we're seeing now uh you did have uh things like barcade in new york uh were, were catching a lot of steam at that time mm-hmm. um so there was definitely the like uh early indicators that like this this was going to come back mm-hmm. um and now you yeah, in Los like- Angeles, there were there were a couple that I probably I don't know the timeline compared to Polycade, but it was 82 downtown and Button Mash and, and Echo Park both came up and, and were very popular for a while. I don't know if uh, COVID has, has wiped them out. I haven't really uh, checked in on them in a while, but definitely you could tell there was energy around this uh, somewhat around the same time. Totally, totally. Yeah, I, I know Button Mash opened after we were founded. I think mm-hmm. 82 was maybe around the same time or they mm-hmm. slightly before. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, th- but the point being that people did really there was interest in social socialization and arcade gaming as opposed to everybody just in their own homes playing Xbox or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that I was noticing is like, you know, I love video games in general, love playing. Uh, I come from a big family. We love playing games together, board games, video games, whatever. And, you know, I've got all the gear at home. And, and so whenever my friends would come over, I'd put a controller in their hand. And, you know, these are people that don't own Xboxes. They're not gamers. They like mm-hmm. probably I don't even think they play any mobile games. Um, and. Right you know you put a controller in their hand show them the right game and they're like wow this is amazing and we're playing for out you know hours mm-hmm. roughly or, or whatever mm-hmm. um so and a lot of those games are like these modern indie titles like towerfall and speed oh my god i love love towerfall so much <laughs> it's it's so good yeah and like you see a game like that and you're like this is an arcade game mm, right right Right. Like it's a modern indie game that was built for like PCs and Xboxes and stuff. But like when you look at the 
game and break it down, it's like this plays exactly like an arcade game. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and there's a lot of those titles out there. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we, uh, I was thinking like, okay, A, like arcades are kind of coming back. B, I told my wife I'm going to put an arcade machine in the living room and she said, no way. <laughs> <laughs> and C, uh, you know, like, uh, all these like modern awesome modern games are coming out that like are really arcade games but there's no arcade to play these games and also you know the the arcades that we're seeing coming back like in barcade and whatnot they're retro machines we don't have a modern machine that's connected and like and you can mm-hmm. remotely download games and has like a user sign-in feature you know all these modern features that we've come to expect of our platforms um does not exist in the arcade space mm-hmm. and by extension there's no such thing as a out of home gaming platform right now sure um, so so the thought was like okay there's space for a new there's there's a missing product in the market um, and a missing platform so coming back to to my my wife telling me I couldn't put an arcade machine in the in the living room that was kind of where I started um, cause it was like, okay, I have to build something first and like understand what I'm getting into because I had never made a machine and I'm a software engineer at a, a, a hobby of woodworking. Um, so that certainly helped, but coming back to what you were saying, you know, David, you know, I think it is really interesting. Like engineers, especially software engineers today, uh, have a superpower and it's not just the fact that they can code. It's the, um, it's the like thought process that goes into engineering, the mm-hmm. iteration and the troubleshooting and, and the like ability to Google everything because let's be real, that's <laughs> most of software engineering. <laughs> right. It's um, yeah. I think some people might think of a senior engineer as having an encyclopedia of knowledge in their head. But the truth is that's not required. Wired, right? Like you don't need to have the entire internet downloaded on your hard drive if you have a fast connection and you can just get anything more or less in real time as you need it. And I think that's kind of a skill that a lot of developers um, foster over time is that, you know, you can you can chalk it up to, to, to Googling, um, which probably trivializes a little bit, but it's it's something along the lines of knowing how to find the missing information quickly. And I do think that's something that software engineers uh, tend to be pretty good at as they as they they grow. Totally, totally. It's the missing like the ability to find that missing information and and also self teach, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's like built into the job, like you to be a good engineer, you always have to be learning. It's always changing. Right. Or even to be any engineer, really. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how true that is. I know nothing about some of the more physical engineering uh, disciplines. And, and I wonder, like, do they really change that much? Like, you know, running. Yeah, it's just something just thinking about, like, like JSLA uh, running my meetup for the past 10 years, just thinking about what didn't exist when we started and and how quickly things have have changed and uh i don't i don't know if that's the case with other industries but certainly in the javascript world uh you you should 
you should enjoy the process of learning and learning new things. Uh, don't feel like you need to completely abandon your tools every you know three months, but you should enjoy learning about new things. Totally, totally agree. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think you do see a lot of that in electrical engineering with like new chips and stuff coming up. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so, but, yeah, superpower. So, <laughs> yeah, superpower. And you know what's the irony is when, so in creating Polycade A, uh, I, you know, I, uh, well, so I, I created a bunch of designs, showed them to my wife and was like, you know, which of these can go in the living room? Um, because mm, the mm. fact that you said no is really a design problem. It's not like no arcade machine can go in the living room. It's that arcade right. machines have a certain look to them and, and right. that can't go in the living room. Right. So uh, I said about redesigning that. Also, I felt like it was time, you know, the arcade community is really diehard on their like CRTs and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, and it just, uh, you know, I felt like it was time for a model that like, make sense for like the smallest pro the smallest footprint possible and you know you can't play these modern games in a really great uh, as they're mm -hmm. meant to be street fighter 5 mortal kombat 11 uh mm -hmm. on a crt got it um so whereas you can actually emulate crt it's not the same but you can get close <laughs> uh. <laughs> i'm not gonna i'm not gonna argue with you but yeah i'm sure there's some <laughs> internet forums that you've you've got scars from but uh, I'm, I'm with you we're friends here the purists, yeah. <laughs> so this is a safe space. <laughs> but what's the irony of, of developing the Polycade uh, is I did zero software engineering until like year three. Okay. Um, actually, that's not true. I did build our first like website e-commerce site just because okay. I like felt like I needed to, and that was a big mistake. I ended up switching oh. over to you know, just kind of a waste of time. I mean, it was nice in some ways, but it's like, as soon as you've got your own system, sure, you're an engineer and you can like build exactly what you want faster than you can like use a framework to do it, maybe. Um, or, or, you know, a big framework like Shopify with all their mm -hmm. templates and such. Mm -hmm. um, but then you just have an endless list of things that you have to do like order reports and like better order reports <laughs> <laughs> uh, reporting so this yeah. is fascinating to me so so you didn't do any real coding until year three and the coding that you did you found it to be a big mistake so how how does that line up clearly software development is kind of the most important thing so what What's up with that? Well, so, you know, coming from the software engineering space, like I kind of understood that. Um, also, software has this like magic property of like endlessly updatable, right? So to me, the thing that AI needed to learn about and truly understand if I'm going to run a company, uh, the company that I want to, I really need to understand hardware and manufacturing on, on this product. Mm -hmm. um, so I, that's a big big thing to learn so uh, that's what i really spent the majority of my time the first two years doing mm -hmm. um the and the machines that i shipped out i just used steam as the software interface i shipped them with like they booted into steam big picture and that was how i shipped them out nice um so it kind of solved the licensing component which you know uh, standing up an arcade company is uh 
complicated because there's a whole bunch of things you got to do. Uh, there's a licensing component. There's a hardware component, a manufacturing component, a um, software component, you know, tons of stuff uh, mm -hmm. to kind of simultaneously achieve. So uh, using Steam solved licensing and software all at once mm -hmm. and allowed me to kind mm -hmm. of focus in on hardware and manufacturing uh, and nice. sales. Right. Like um, yeah. that's a new, that's another thing uh, that I needed to learn. So sales, customer service. I mean, I ran the company solo for the first two and a half years. Yeah. So it sounds like you were you were kind of artful in, in choosing your battles there. Yeah. Yeah. You only have so much time. Um, the And I knew the software component was going to come with licensing and a bunch of other things that we're just going to need a bigger team and more money for. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the, the, the thought process there. Um, during that time, I did build our, our e-commerce site, and it wasn't until, I think, year three that we moved away from that because um, mm -hmm. I brought on someone that, that could help with that. And that was right about the time that I started building our uh, software UI and like mm -hmm. that, that, that side of the platform. Right. So, yeah, so I'm curious, like how looking back on this, I'm trying to figure out how to ask the question. I think I'm, I'm curious, like what what did you learn from the, I guess, software engineer lens? Like did your opinions about what is a priority change? Did you like consider certain things that that you learned early on as being critical or things that you learned late as like, oh, my God, I should have, you know, focused on that earlier. Like kind of is, is there any kind of reaction that you have as as a software engineer going through that founding process and building a, a product? Like, how do you how do you look back on that? Yeah, it's interesting. Like. In a lot of ways, I think it would have been nice to have started the uh, building the platform sooner mm -hmm. than I than I actually did, um, because I don't think I fully realized that I could actually do a number of things quickly um, mm. and get something like decent running mm -hmm. um, without too much pain uh, or too much effort. Right. Mm -hmm. So like if I had put the time that I put into building the own, our own e-commerce site into standing up something like a Shopify page and then the rest of the time uh, building our initial uh, UI. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That might have been a better use of time, maybe. But yeah, I don't know. From from the software uh, perspective, like I think the biggest thing I wish I had done earlier is done my own thing earlier mm, go out go out on your own sooner yeah i mean and mm -hmm. and also you know just trusted in myself uh sooner like love working with my brother and stuff but like back then i had some ideas that i like wanted him buy in from him on in order to pursue them and i should have just done them i shouldn't mm -hmm. have like waited for him or or like <laughs> expected buy-in from him yeah i think um, there's a lot of things that that we just we wait around for for permission 
from someone else. And we just, we don't really need that permission. There's so many things that we can do on our own that we don't need to wait around for somebody else to say, oh, no, it's okay. Yeah, you can, you can do that. Like, you don't, you don't need to do that. Totally, totally. And like, maybe ask a second opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think also service, service companies are very different than, than product companies as well. Um, yeah, I've always been so interested in product. Um, mm-hmm. And and I think I just should have gone with my gut like when I was 18 instead of when I was 35, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and and there's no, there's always, you can always look back and be like, woulda, coulda, shoulda. But, yeah. um, you know, I think it's important to trust yourself and like, you know, I always think back to that, what what is it, like a Rudyard Kipling poem that's like, you know, it's both the fool that trusts or takes all everyone's you know all of everyone's advice Uh, and mm -hmm. and and none of anybody's advice like Mm -hmm. both wrong Mm -hmm. Um, really like strike a balance trust yourself do what you want and if that fails cool like you can go back to working for a while and like try something else again (laughs) totally yeah how irreversible a decision matters right if something is fully reversible you don't need to be so timid in making that decision. And like you say, you can go out on your own and if it doesn't work, you can you can just go back to to working for for a company. It's really probably not going to kill you. It's not completely irreversible. Like you will have possibly put a lot of time, energy, money into that endeavor, but as long as you don't make it, you know, completely ruinous for yourself and don't completely drain your savings or anything like that, then, you know, you'll have enough time to to find to find another another gig. The question that I have for you is, okay, say we've got we've got 18 year old Tyler's listening in the audience right now. How would they how would they know whether or not they're ready to go out on their own? And and how would they know if if they should be waiting for skills that they're going to pick up closer to 25 30 35 that's going to help them be successful on on an endeavor like that how could how can they know yeah totally so um you know i think obviously you know if you're always learning then then the older you get the more things you're going to be comfortable with but you know in order to learn you have to do those things at least for me right one of the things one of the reasons i wanted my brother's buy in back when i was 18 was because i wanted I was not a social person. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted, he was like the people person and the networker. And so I was like, I need you to run, like help me run a company. I'll sit behind the scenes and like code mm-hmm. the stuff up, but mm-hmm. I need you to be that other piece. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't, it was, it wasn't until way, way later that I like learned how to talk to people and like, right. It's learnable. Like if you can learn other things, you can learn that. One hundred percent. And actually, this comes back to your your last question, um, which something I feel very passionate about is, uh, and this was a mistake I made for for a number of years as a developer. The worst thing that I think a developer can do is not surround themselves with tons of other developers. Mm. Um, and we actually just saw this internally in our company, where really, yeah. We hired a guy that hadn't really worked on a team before, um, and that 
just like fully he was a good programmer and like the projects that we looked at of his that where it was just him that Mm -hmm. built it Mm -hmm. um were good it was like okay this is great um but then in the the work together environment he's like i know how to do everything better than everybody Mm -hmm. um and actually i dare say the two guys that we had working for us that both have never like were one-man teams in their past gigs Mm -hmm. uh, both had that type of arrogance Mm -hmm. um and both of them like we let go because they were unable to work on a team and they also got in and just broke everything yeah 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 i mean there's there's a there's there's a saying right if you want to go fast go alone if you want to go far go together and these things are often they're they're marathons they're not sprints and yes there's you know on the show um one of the you know fun fun metaphors uh that that i think brandon harvey's episode brought up was the idea that there's different types of developers and the there's sort of like these three types there's the uh commando there's the uh, i think it's the infantry and then there's the the police and commandos are really good about doing something that's never been done before getting that prototype up getting something that that you thought was impossible to making it possible um but they're really not who you want to to make things usable like you don't you don't want them to build the bridge right because they could probably get a bridge really quick uh get it up up and and going you can cross the river but you're not going to want to drive a car across it that's that's going to cause problems um infantry are the ones that can work together you give them an objective and like take that hill and hold it and they can work together they can employ strategies they can deal with um you know certain types of unforeseen consequences and and they can really uh wind up like covering a lot of ground or or like moving a lot of earth so to speak um but at the end of the day i feel like i'm thinking about battlestar galactica here uh you don't you don't want the military to be the cops um and so once something is established and you need it to be maintained and uh working and have high uptime uh it's a it's a different type of person who's going to be happy doing that and not get itchy and and want to like rewrite the the thing all the time and so the the police is that's who you want to come in at the end and they they're the ones that can just maintain order and not really uh mess with things too much and so i don't think it's it's a horrible thing to to try and be a commando who works alone but they often can be very disruptive on teams and one of the worst things that they can do is they can turn themselves into a single point of failure uh they're the ones that'll be like no 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 i'm the i you know i got this don't worry about it like i'll i'll fix it and then nothing can get done because no one wants to work on those pieces because they'll you know they they get real cranky or or they're not familiar with it because they wrote it in like some really ultra clever or you know, really inscrutable way that nobody else can can understand. And so it can cause it can cause a lot of problems. So I thousand percent agree with your uh, <laughs> your takeaway on that. Yeah. And, and it you know, I mean, it, I love that, by the way, the, the commando totally makes sense. Um, those those three profiles. Um, 
the but yeah the the for me as a developer having spent time in commando land and then once i started going to like javascript meetups and and node node conf and like these sort of like programmer events uh which full disclosure i don't uh, you know i thank you for david (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, i was uh when you were talking about people who haven't played tower like towerfall or these games before it was actually in my head i was just thinking about how fun it was when you brought a polycade machine to node conf and just we just there was a line you know running out from it for like all three or four days or whatever it was that machine was constantly in in use uh but but yeah no i i mean i agree with you i think it's it's for for people who haven't been to a conference like that, it's hard to imagine what it would do for you. Um, you know, a lot of the talks are often online, and you just may not really recognize what the what the value is. So why do you why do you think it's so important, or what did you get out of it? Well, you know, I think, and I, I'm just thinking about this a little more. And really, I, I actually believe this not just for developers, but for everybody. And you know, whatever industry you're involved in, make sure to surround yourself uh, with some level of like the extracurricular stuff for that industry. Mm-hmm. Um, because being around people in your industry and in your career path, you know, all of that kind of thing, uh, you're just going to learn a lot. You're going to, you know, people share information and like, did you check out this new cool thing I discovered? And, you know, whatever else. Uh, it's going to help you be on the forefront of things and just kind of understand the greater picture, I think. Yeah. I mean, because there's, there's, you know, sort of like, like fire, right? You know, you got, you got two matches, one's lit, like the first one doesn't lose any fire by giving it to the, to the second one. These ideas really benefit these ideas, these skills that, that we learn. It's very difficult to, do all of the research, do all of the exploration, do all of those things yourself. But when you're part of a community and everyone's doing those things and everybody's sharing with each other, the throughput is 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 just incomparable. And you know, there's a there's a book that I read recently. Um, the uh, what is it? The the Rational Optimist. Um, so it's a, it's an economist. Who, who wrote it, uh, part of it is kind of uh, going back in time, exploring how uh, societies and, and uh, sort of like anthropology type stuff, different older civilizations or pre-civilization uh, hunter-gatherers and, and things like that. And he makes a very compelling argument that without trade, humans would never have grown into to what we are today like the foundation of all of our societies is built on trade and so without these these interactions of of people uh, sharing new ideas with each other there's there's just no progress there's there is absolutely no no progress and so if you think that you can do it all on your own um you are either way more amazing than than i would think possible and and kudos if that's the case um or you're just doing it wrong um because i think <laughs> even even a lot of the the most famous writers and artists and and scientists uh we may know their name um but most often they're part of these communities that that really help them 
refine their ideas and um, what they were they were working on, right? Like, I mean, you know, we think about people like von Neumann and and Feynman and uh, oh God, what's the guy with the the nuclear uh, Oppenheimer? Like, you know, these these people are all hanging out at Los Alamos and everything together, or you know, in different different departments, and they'd have lunch together and they'd bounce. But Claude Shannon, they'd be you know they'd be bouncing all all these ideas off of each other. And so, you know, we can think of their names independently, but there's often really impressive uh, communities behind them. I mean, I had Jacob uh, Thornton on the show, uh, better known as Fat on the internet. He's one of the co-creators of React, uh, sorry, not React, Twitter. Uh, that's not even its name anymore. Bootstrap, right? I mean, <laughs> period of time where there was like, I don't know, like fully half of all pages on the internet were just using the default bootstrap theme with the yep. popovers and all those UI widgets, right? I mean, that that was his doing. And and a lot of what drove him to create uh, things like Bootstrap, and there's one of the things that he mentions is there's, there's I don't know, maybe like a hundred different libraries that no one's ever heard of because he was churning them out, sharing them with people who he was close to, that he respected in the community, getting feedback, iterating, and so a lot of the time, you know, if you if you weren't really close to him, you just might see the tip of the iceberg. You might just see his, you know, one bootstrap or two, three other really uh, famous libraries. But there's, you know, there's a lot more. And I think he really credits uh, either what he got from from sharing those ideas and 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 the feedback and iteration, or at least the, the the motivation socially to be a part of those communities and and to contribute. So, I could not agree more with uh, being part of one of those communities or scenes. Uh, I think they're they're really important. Yeah, nice, nice. I, yeah, absolutely. And so, so for you, yeah, like, what did you like coming? I guess coming back from one of those um, conferences for the first time, how did it how did it change your view or or your craft or how you viewed things? It just was, you know, a it was extremely invigorating, right? Like mm. um, when you're working in a bubble, um, this is often I think the problem with working from home in general mm-hmm. is that um, you know you end up this bubble effect where like you're not seeing people and you're not having this like any of these social experiences right Mm -hmm. um and uh that can also that can be just you know on a a personal level like like when you're working from home but it can also be when you're like you know the only engineer on your team and you have no peers uh that -hmm. are in your same craft right Mm -hmm. uh it feels like you might think you're the best starcraft player because <laughs> you've never played against someone else you, yeah you only play against the computer yeah <laughs> so yeah. like you've got to flex that other muscle and like and and um you know i mean the the invigoration was just was very real where it's like you know people talking about like oh have you tried this library and check this out like let me show you something and you know mm-hmm. um and then in addition, just going through NodeConf particularly um, had a lot of workshops. So uh, it was kind oh, of Those were so good. <laughs> so good. Yeah. And you just like, you know, you look at the schedule, you're like, oh, I'm going to do that one. And then I'm going to do that one. And then like, so you make your path um, based on your interests. And, 
you just come out of that like feeling so much more comfortable with you know at the time i was learning node.js mm-hmm. um and so it was a really great onboarding to that language but um you know also kind of like really got me like understanding how other programmers work and mm-hmm. uh, what they're doing and what they think is interesting and you know um and hey it's kind of fun to play a board game with a bunch of other programmers. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, you Absolutely. can all make the same dumb jokes. Or... Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, jokes. Exactly. Yeah, that, I mean, that's what I was like, make me a sandwich is the one that I was, I was thinking of. But uh, yeah, I think, I think that is all um, really important. And also, you know, it's like, you know, I often think about cultural immersion and the way that you learn spoken languages is is one of the best ways is really just to move to another country where you kind of have no choice and, and you're immersed in it and you pick it up. And I often think that for junior developers or aspiring developers, maybe just graduated from a coding boot camp or something like that, probably one of the best things you can do is go to conferences, go to meetups, just so that you're around other developers and you're picking up on their language, how they how they talk about things, how they talk about problems, the the labels they give things, um, the abstractions or the the constructs that they're using to kind of chunk categories of problems that you deal with on the job um it it winds up being very helpful there's there's kind of a uh when when chess masters are studied and and you, they analyze their eye movements and how they look at at various layouts of chessboards with different pieces that are in progress in games um the the chunking is is kind of key. The more the more advanced a chess player is, they're not looking at individual pieces. They're looking at uh, a fewer number of higher level patterns of placements on the board, and that way they can they can think about it much more quickly. They've they've kind of got this decision tree of, oh, okay, I kind of see what type of situation this player is in, what type of situation this player is in problem hotspots on the board and they can kind of think more strategically about okay this is how we need to rebalance things um a beginner is going to look at every individual piece piece um individually and uh that is way more computationally uh so to speak intensive it's it's much harder for them to try and come up with a cohesive strategy that's gonna that's gonna win into the future. And I think that happens a lot with junior developers as well. It's it's you're going to start in the absence of of hearing about uh, higher level abstractions or higher level patterns of how to deal with problems and and higher level concepts, you're going to get a little too bogged down on uh, just very small concepts, which, you know, don't get me wrong, you got to learn those too. But that's not where you're going to really achieve a lot of the heavy lifting. And just hearing other developers talk about their craft is, is going to be helpful in that regard. Not to mention when you are interviewing for positions, if you aren't around a lot of other developers, you're the way that you talk about these things is going to be noticeable to an interviewer. 
not saying that it's disqualifying or anything like that, but it's sort of like speaking with an accent and you don't want your accent to be so heavy to be unintelligible because that that will probably hurt you in an interview. And I think that conferences and um, meetups are really good for that, or at the very least, at least just watching the talks and, and seeing how uh, more prominent developers talk about these things um, when they're on when they're on stage. I think that's that's pretty valuable. Uh, Tyler, um, one thing that that I also want to ask you, because I know we don't have a whole lot of time left, but I am very interested in is your shift from being a software engineer on a team to being, you know, the CEO trying to get a team and trying to get developers to do what the company needs. What what kind of transition was that like? How has your perspective shifted from one role to the other? Yeah, what can you what can you tell uh, what can you tell us about that? <laughs> well, you know, I uh, thank goodness my my CTO is uh, a very very nice guy because I, I think otherwise he would hate me uh, because <laughs> <laughs> because I'm like I know enough you know I know enough about all this stuff that I'm like build it like this. <laughs> And he loves uh, that, I'm sure. He, totally, totally. And and also, like, I'm a little rusty in the code space these days, so uh, I'm probably not the guy that should be advising that in some <laughs> scenarios. But, yeah, I mean, it's been, it has certainly been interesting. And, like, you know, coming back to surrounding yourself with your industry, um, that has been equally important in this transition for me. Mm-hmm. Um surrounding myself with like startup being a, a startup is an industry if, if in a lot of ways uh mm-hmm. its own sort of like you know uh, category of industry um and really important to it's been very important for me to surround myself with other people doing startups other ceos and like how they think and you know what they're doing and spending um you know how they fundraise and etc there's a million mm-hmm. things to learn and so surrounding yourself with the space just helps you be relevant. Um, mm-hmm. You know, speak that language uh, exactly like you talk about for, you know, um, doing uh, for, for engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same thing for, for me now. Um, one really valuable um, experience in my transition was in just in my life. Uh, was going through Techstars. Mm, okay. Uh, and so for those that don't know, Techstars is an accelerator. Um, it's a very large uh, accelerator network. Um, and to me, that was uh, one of the things that was very attractive about it. Uh, you know, something like Y Combinator has a very big name, uh, a lot of clout with the name. Um, Techstars is comparable. Uh, what's nice about Techstars is that it is a giant, giant network. And so if there's anybody that you want to get a hold of or get in touch with, um, you can, like, in the world, um, chances are you can reach them through the Techstars network with a little bit of effort. Yeah, like either first degree or because there's so many people you're directly connected to now, like one of them will will be able to forward you on, right? Exactly. And there's and it's sort of part of the contract of, of mm-hmm. joining Techstars is like now you are a hub for everyone else and mm-hmm. they're expected to be a hub for you. Um, and in terms of uh, in terms of management, right? So you used to be an individual contributor and now you looking at the team like 
have you learned like like has there anything has there been anything that you learned or like you kind of wish you knew as an individual contributor now that you have this like i don't know broader is that the right word perspective yeah i mean i think you know um especially if you sort of have that like kind of entrepreneurial sort of you know itch um a i think it's really important to be in an industry that you're really interested in Mm, Um, okay at least for me that was an an important thing um Mm -hmm. you know i think a lot of people can just be really interested in what they're building specifically um and and maybe the industry doesn't matter as much um Mm -hmm. but so yeah there's like this magic balance of like you know you don't want your employees to like go off and be like oh i had this cool idea that would work really good in our app uh and like spend a bunch of time building that but you also don't want them to like only ever do what you tell them to. i mean just like a pair of hands like they, they should also think yeah there's like it's you know it's like that that uh, adding that magic without me asking and but you know <laughs> still still doing the project right like uh, that one engineer I mentioned that we recently got rid of, um, he also spent a bunch of time doing like all this stuff that was like, not really, not really on our roadmap anywhere. Um, Mm -hmm. and like, didn't really like, didn't really like, you know, I mean, it's, I don't know, didn't contribute in some way really. Like it was Mm -hmm. like, eh. Like, I appreciate that you're trying to add value outside of your job, but you're like doing your job kind of poorly and, and spending time doing mm-hmm. this stuff that like impacts us zero. Right. It's like the, the company is spending its resources, giving these re- valuable resources to you in exchange. You're not doing what was kind of like the stated goal or, you know, it was it, it was, it was an agreement of. We're going to we're going to give this money to you in exchange for being able to deliver this kind of value to the company. And instead of that, they they just did this other thing that they were interested in. So for me, when I hear that, I'm thinking, okay, is that communication? Is that just like misalignment of goals? Like they didn't really understand or care to really dig into what was important to the company or maybe they just didn't care and they were using it as a as a good way to get paid to learn, you know, and, and add some things to their, to their resume that, that the company just wasn't valuable to the company. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know, but I think that the, you know, the takeaway for me is like, I I guess I really want our employees to understand what we're building and why. And Mm -hmm. if, if they don't, if I've done a bad job at at communicating that, please like Mm -hmm. call me on it and ask questions. It's so important. So important. Yeah, I think I mean, honestly, I think, you know, the title of the show, Junior to Senior, I do think that that is one of the marks of a senior developer is being able to be proactive and verify that you do understand what the company is trying to do and why and and having that internalized. I think I think it's often junior developers who think that they are just much more of a a pair of hands and like if you don't tell me to do something exact i'm not going to do it and i don't know i'm not a business person so like i don't care why like i'm just going to make sure that my semicolons are in the right place and um it's valuable yeah i mean it's definitely valuable i'm sure you you would agree as a as a founder uh i think i know which which developers you're going to value more highly 100 percent. yeah this also (laughs) comes back to building erp systems for salvage companies 
Where, okay. You know, as a developer, like understanding the business helps you be a better developer. Um, having like very intricate and deep understanding of the business and how, you know, people are going to work with the software to achieve their job. Uh, you know, you as the developer, it's best to really understand how that's going to happen and, you know, or that's your project manager or something. But if you're going to draw outside the lines, you need to, uh, know the nitty gritty. And so if you don't want to learn everything there is to know about salvage industry (laughs) outside the lines. (laughs) Oh yeah, totally. Tyler, this has been great. Where can people find out more about you online? Uh, well, uh, you know, polycade.com is, is, uh, what I spend all my time on. So, um, check in there. Uh, we also have a, an Instagram account and, um, you're always welcome to look me up on LinkedIn. Uh, Tyler Bushnell. Fantastic. Thanks for joining me today. Awesome. Thanks, David. This has been fun. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm David Gutman, and I hope you join me again next time for junior to senior. Having trouble finding senior front end and full stack engineers? Sponsoring JSLA is one of the best ways to get in front of the best JavaScript devs in Los Angeles. To learn more, head over to js.la/sponsorship or send me an email at david@js.la. At